0: Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem... He will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children of the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty, who dwells on Mount Zion. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse the king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Nevertheless, there will be no gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders and the rod of their oppressor. On David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with righteous justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.
1: Good morning, church. As Jordan introduced a bit earlier, over the next few weeks into the lead up into Christmas, uh, we're going to be exploring some of um, yeah the key Old Testament passages that speak about the hope that we have for this season. And yeah, before us today is one of those key passages in the Old Testament that uh, speak of Jesus. So as we get into our passage this morning, I'd love just to lead us in a short prayer. Uh, so please pray with me now. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for the opportunity to come here and open up your word together, to explore your amazing message of grace and forgiveness through your son Jesus, as found here in the prophet Isaiah. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work amongst us as we see afresh our need for your work in our life and our hearts uh, and in, in this world, Lord, a world that is so often clouded by darkness and in need of your light. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd be with us now as we explore this passage together. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the realities that uh, we face in life is the constant threat and possibility of hardship and struggle. Now, okay, from one one aspect of things in the first uh, world that we live in here in the West is that these struggles are often quite trivial, if we're honest with ourselves perhaps stubbing your toe, running out of your favourite snack in the cupboard, stressing out that you're running late to something, or perhaps getting a cold, although I do hear that the man flu is a particularly serious cold to receive. Now, these struggles are inconvenient and a nuisance, but we get over them without batting an eyelid. However, for us here in the West, some hardships and struggles that come our way are still quite serious in nature. Jokes aside, if we think about some of these more serious hardships and struggles, there are perhaps two types that we could think of. Some are more unpredictable and sudden. We can think of a sudden car crash, a surprising medical diagnosis, accidentally slipping on a wet surface and severely hurting yourself. Unpredictable events in life are one of the reasons that we take out insurance policies, helping to guard against unforeseen circumstances. Uh, Over against these unpredictable events, uh, perhaps more predictable, serious hardships that come our way. At least predictable to some extent. In New Zealand, for example, part of their building code requires that buildings are made to be able to withstand earthquakes. This is because earthquakes are a part of life, if you live in New Zealand, or Victoria, it seems. Uh, Even if we can't predict exactly when they might occur. Maybe you see your business or your job going south, and you know that you're going to lose your business or job for whatever reason. Ultimately, for us, our own mortality fits into that category knowing that one day we are going to have to face death. For some of us, that question of death is more of a distant thought. For others, it might be much closer to home. When dire enough, these predictable hardships can be like a a looming dark dust storm coming our way. In the Middle East, there's a natural phenomenon there, uh, which is the dust storms that they have. In arid, dry, dust, uh, desert lands, fine dust particles can be picked up by the wind and blown um, all through the air. If the conditions are right and the wind strong enough, it can create these huge dust storms. If, you're in the, if you are in one of the path of these storms, they can look like these great, ominous cloud coming your way, looming in the distance, soon to envelop you and everything around you. So the question for us here today is, what do we do when we see this a dark, predictable dust storm coming our way? How do we prepare for such a trial or storm? And as we go about trying to face these things in our life, how do we avoid unhelpful dead ends that promise comfort and guidance, but actually provide none? In this well-known passage in Isaiah, we get to explore this important topic, as we learn from a people who they themselves faced a looming storm coming their way. And so as we dig into our passage this morning, the first thing that we want to consider is the darkness, this big theme of darkness. And in our passage, darkness is quite a big theme. In chapter 8, verse 22, it speaks of distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, people being thrust into thick darkness. In chapter 9, verse 2, it speaks of a people walking in darkness and dwelling in a land of deep darkness. In exploring this darkness, there's a couple of key questions that I want to consider with you this morning that I think we need to ask of our text. For one, we need to ask, what is the true nature of this darkness? And what does this darkness ultimately lead to? When writing this, Isaiah wrote to an audience who were on the brink of military invasion. Writing about 700 years before the coming of Christ, Isaiah warned God's people Israel of Assyria to the north who were coming to invade them. In chapter 8, verse 7, Assyria and his army, so that's a few verses before what we read earlier, Assyria and, his, and the army of, um, of Assyria, they're poetically described there as the great river Euphrates, flooding and overflowing throughout all the land of Judah, wreaking havoc and destruction as it gushes out over the land. This coming military threat loomed over the people of God like a giant dark dust storm. They could see it coming. What were they to do? This helps us to begin to start understanding what the nature of this darkness is. Darkness that we can face too. We could say that it's outward darkness. Darkness brought on by difficult circumstances and hardships in life. As I touched on earlier, it could be hardships that are predictable or unpredictable. Either way, when they arise, they are difficult. And they can swamp us like a great flood, consuming us, and feel like they overshadow us, and can feel overpowering. I wonder if you have experienced darkness like this before in your life. If so, what was your response to God in those moments of darkness? But there is another aspect to this darkness that we find in our passage. We see this aspect uh, appear in how God's people respond to this looming darkness. We actually see that they have quite a tragic response in chapters 8 verses 19 to 20. These verses describe how Israel uh, was seeking out false spiritual sources for guidance and comfort. Isaiah speaks of mediums and necromancers in which they sought guidance from, who would try and contact the dead and the like. It essentially amounts to trying to find answers in places outside of God, trying to find answers in the darkness and the shadows. This further reveals the true nature of the darkness that they faced. Not only was the darkness from without, The darkness was also from within. Inner spiritual darkness of the soul, having unfaithful hearts that did not naturally seek out the Lord. The primary reason God's people were facing this threat of invasion was because they were spiritually depraved. Their souls had been darkened by their sin, and they didn't see their own condition for what it really was. When we consider our own lives here today, where do you go to for guidance and comfort? Particularly when tragedy strikes. There are certainly uh, direct modern day equivalents to spiritual mediums and necromancers that exist uh, today as they did in Isaiah's day. Whether it's New Age beliefs, tarot cards, palm readers or star signs. All these things are clearly denounced by our passage as spiritual dead ends. But what Isaiah speaks of refers to other things too. Uh, One thing that our Aussie culture seems to pride itself on is arguably our pragmatic approach to life. We see a problem and we immediately want to come up with some no-nonsense, straightforward solution. If we get sick go to the doctor. If you're overweight, go, the, go to the gym and drink a kale smoothie. If you're stressed, take a holiday. This approach does seem to work for many things. But What happens when we face a problem that we can't fix? And why do so many problems continue to persist in our culture today? no matter how hard we try and fix them with conventional means and methods. I think one such area that plagues our culture today is the mental-emotional struggles that people have. According to Beyond Blue, uh, there's statistics online, one in six Australians are currently experiencing depression or anxiety or both. (laughs) I mean, that's a huge portion of our uh, population here in Australia. With problems like this, such a pragmatic approach seems to fail miserably to cure it. The problem persists. Now this is not to say that we shouldn't take anything helpful from conventional wisdom from our culture when facing some of these things. But what our passage does confront us with is the need to address the ultimate problem that lies beneath all the problems that we face. That is, the sin that looms over us, the problem that leads to all other problems, a problem that depraves us of God and His goodness. Conventional wisdom and pragmatism can't help us with this issue, and trying to find answers to our sin problem in conventional means is ultimately continuing to hopelessly scrounge around in the dark hoping to stumble across a seemingly elusive solution that doesn't come. Again, what do you do when you face an unfixable problem? Such situations can reveal ways in which we might be trying to find answers in the darkness and gloom of this world. What dark worldly places have you been trying to find answers in? In many ways, this applies not only to the non-Christian who doesn't have the hope of the gospel, but also to the Christian as we continue to, to face the darkness in different ways. It's a challenge for us to find guidance and comfort in God, not in places outside of God, especially in the darkest of situations that we do face. I think it's important for us to consider what this darkness ultimately leads to and causes. In chapter 8 verses 20 to 22, it says that those there that uh, don't listen to God and his word have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their god and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Trying to find guidance and comfort outside of God leads to even more darkness. And ultimately the ultimate darkness of God's judgment for sin and eternal punishment. Furthermore, it causes people to curse God as they turn further and further away from Him and more and more into darkness. I mean, that is an incredibly bleak picture. Over against this great darkness in our passage, we see this theme of light. There's this epic contrast between the darkness and the light. And so that's going to be the second thing that we explore in our passage this morning, as we explore the light. In chapter 9, verse 1, Isaiah speaks of a time where there will be no more gloom for those in anguish. In verse 2, Isaiah poetically says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The pitch that we get here is that of a life-giving light that comes and casts out the darkness. A bit like when you're driving at night and you turn on your high beams and instantly the darkness is illuminated. The burning question for us this morning is this, what is this great light spoken of by Isaiah? Well, I think the first half of our passage begins to answer this for us. In chapter 8, verse 20, The reason given that the people will have no dawn was because they abandoned God's message revealed in His Word. True light, then, is found in listening to God's Word rather than finding answers in the dark places of the world. Elsewhere, Scripture confirms this. In Psalm 119, that speaks of God's Word, Over and over and again, in verses 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In that same psalm, in verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. What was God's message in his word here? Well, in verses 11 through to 17 in chapter 8, God's message for Israel is that they should fear him. The Lord of hosts, the Holy One, deserving of our honour and praise, rather than fearing that darkness that they had in their world. God's message was to fear the ultimate thing, our sin and unfaithfulness in the sight of a holy God. That is what we should fear. Getting an answer to to our problem of sin, Can only come from God's word and responding with hearts that turn back to Him. But that's not all that this great light refers to. As we read on in chapter 9, Isaiah also describes this coming child. Who was this child? This child who would rule over God's everlasting kingdom. This wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, this Prince of Peace. Well, This is no other than Jesus Christ himself, the Messiah, our Lord and Saviour. The Word of God embodied in the person of Jesus. Literally, God's saving message to the world. In John 1, at the start of his Gospel, John describes Jesus like this. He says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Later in John's Gospel, in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks of Himself in these terms. He declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus then is this great light from God. And as we consider our passage in Isaiah, there are really three things that Jesus promises for those who believe in him. Hope, joy, and peace. Firstly, hope. Hope because he is the perfect king that we need. Unlike the faithless King Ahaz who lived in Isaiah's day, or every other imperfect ruler ever since, King Jesus is the one that brings God's perfect kingdom, full of justice and righteousness. This kingdom of God burst uh, into human history. When Jesus was born into this world, And has been fighting against the darkness ever since. For those who lived in Isaiah's day, this hope ultimately was waiting for this coming Messiah. Uh, Interestingly, in our passage, particularly verses 2-7 to of chapter 9, it's actually written in past tense, as if it's already occurred. (laughs) Isaiah was so sure that the Messiah would come, that he wrote as if it already happened. For us here today, how much more hope and assurance can we have, knowing that this really is now past tense? Jesus, the Son of God, came into our world 2,000 years ago, died on a cross, bore our sin and removed the sin that overshadowed us. In this way, Jesus took upon himself the darkness of this world, and in his death, this darkness seemed for a moment to overcome him. Until three days later, he showed himself victorious over the darkness when he raised again from the dead. And yet, like Isaiah, we too can peer out into the future, out onto the horizon. Knowing that God's kingdom will come in all its fruition when Jesus returns again. No matter what darkness we might face for a limited time in our life. We can have hope in that darkness, looking forward to the promise of that kingdom in its fullness. Secondly, joy. Joy for Christians because he has restored the very thing that gives us the greatest joy. That is God himself. Verse 3 in our passage uh, in chapter 9 speaks of God's people gaining a harvest and his great spoil. This is none other than gaining the riches and the light of Christ in our hearts. When you get the significance of this, it's like turning on a light bulb inside. A number of years ago, there was a Russian man named Anatoly Bogosky, and he saw a great light. He was a particle physicist, and he was working on um, some equipment at a particle accelerator when suddenly he saw this bright flash of light He described it as brighter than a thousand suns. It turns out what he had accidentally done was put his head in the path of beams that were travelling near the speed of light of the particle accelerator. He did survive that ordeal, amazingly. Well, for the Christian who knows the joy of God's salvation from the darkness of this world, having a Jesus in your hearts is a bit like that light. This inner joy that is brighter than a thousand suns. Do you know Jesus as your great light this morning? Does his presence, the very presence of God himself in your life, bring joy to you? Thirdly, peace. Peace because one day Jesus will remove all hardship, all toil, and all anguish from our life. Uh, Verse 5 gives this puzzling picture of this complete end to war, where instruments of war and the bloodstained clothing in war is all burned up. Uh, On the cross in Christ, uh, God in Christ revealed how this mysterious victory was won. A victory not won with swords and weapons but instead through the pouring out of his own blood for sinners. This peace then, that a relationship with Jesus provides, is different to worldly peace. Being a peace that is not won by sheer military strength, but achieved through the humble, miraculous means of the cross. Our passage ends in verse 7, saying the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As we consider the need for God's light and overcoming the darkness, we must realize that we are powerless to overcome it ourselves. Rather, this is entirely God's doing. The Lord of hosts is the one that does this. It's when the external light of the gospel message comes and breaks into your life and my life and pushes out the darkness. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So that's this great darkness and this great light that overcomes the darkness. Jesus Christ and his saving gospel message. The only thing that remains for us this morning is to consider what our response is to this great light. What's your response to Jesus? Have you turned to him? Have you submitted to his lordship, his kingship? Have you heeded God's saving message of grace? Are you willing to renounce ways in which you're seeking guidance and comfort in this world, in dark places? And instead find true hope, joy and peace in Jesus. My prayer this morning is that you would. Let me close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that at times uh, the darkness can seem overwhelming to us. That unpredictable things or predictable things that, that can come our way and overshadow us. Lord, we often so easily peer into that darkness and try and find answers to our problems try and look for problems in the world and even as christians we are not quick enough to come to your word and come to jesus particularly in dark times father i pray that as we face the ongoing darkness of this world that we would remember that we need to see things from your perspective Help us to recognize in those moments that you have overcome the darkness on the cross. That to see our situation clearly is to see how Jesus has won the victory. No matter how dark the darkness may feel. Father, I pray also for anyone amongst us here that doesn't know Jesus as their great light. I pray, Lord, that uh, they may come to know Jesus and see the futility of trying to find satisfaction, fulfillment, and hope in the things of this world. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their hearts, that they would see the light of Jesus. And for us as Christians, as we consider this amazing hope, joy, and peace of the gospel, and you this day... I pray that you would burn in our hearts brighter than a thousand suns, that you would fill us with joy this day, joy that overflows no matter what our circumstances are. Help us to peer into the distance and see how you have all things in your hands and that we can trust you with the big and small things and with our very life. Thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness, but you sent your Son and you captured us out of that darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. And for this, Lord, we just praise and worship you this morning. Amen.